In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Glory be to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, now and ever into the ages of all ages, Amen. So the, our, third, uh, our third topic is about how, how can we face the challenges that we see in the world around us. And if we look, we'll find that the word world is used in the New Testament with a very particular meaning. Um, we can find it's, uh, I, I don't know if you know like how we, like when we say, oh, the Greek word, especially the Hebrew word, there's something called these Strong's numbers. Um, basically, uh, this, guy, this guy, I believe his name is Strong, um, took all of the words in the Bible and he gave them an, an independent identifier, like a number. So the, the time the word world came up, he gave it a number. And every time that word comes up in the Greek, he gave it the same number. So the word is cosmos. That's what, what the word is. And you can find here like the, 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 the sort of the biblical, uh, the, the definition and how it's used in the Bible. And specifically when Jesus uses it, I think he's referring to these kind of three definitions here. The ungodly multitude, the whole mass of men alienated from God and therefore hostile to the cause of Christ. Worldly affairs, the aggregate of things earthly. The whole circle of earthly goods, endowments, riches, advantages, pleasures, which although hollow and frail and fleeting, still stir desire, seduce us from God and are obstacles to the cause of Christ. I think this is in general what, um, what uh, scripture is referring to when it talks about the world. But when we find, let's see now what Jesus says about the world. Like if we want to know how should we relate to the world. How can we face the challenges in the world? Let's see what Jesus says about the world. So we're going to look at a few verses, things that Jesus says about the world, about us, about us in the world, and so on. So, of course, the, you know, one of the most quoted verses in Scripture, John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. So we see that God loves the world and that so much that He gives His only begotten Son for the world. Remember, the definition of the world a minute ago was here, right? So all the, all the things, all things earthly, and but God loves, God loves the world so much so that He gives His only begotten Son. And if God loves the world, so much so that He gives His only begotten Son, maybe God is calling us to love the world as well. Let's see what else. Let's see what else He says. He also says that the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. It took me uh, quite a while to figure out what kind of image to you know does this verse. And when I put in like, you know, Google images and I looked up waves, I found like, you know, tidal waves and like big waves. And I no, no, I realized, no, that's not the image. That's not the image that, that comes up when I, we think of the sway of the wicked one. The sway of the wicked one is gentle waves, right? Gentle thoughts that are not too different from my thoughts, I think, maybe, I'm not so sure. The approach of the wicked one is insidious, you know, like is uh, quiet, you know. 
And the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. What else, what else can we compare this to? Well, earlier we were talking about the Holy Spirit. See how different it is when, when, we're, when we're describing the Holy Spirit as the wind who blows where it wishes. You hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from, where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. See how different they are? The Spirit is clear. The wind is clear. You can tell clearly where it comes from and where it's going. But you can't catch it. You can't capture it. But you can feel its presence and you can feel its activity. The wicked one, very gentle, sneaks his way, sneaks his way into us. So how does God deal with the world? How does God deal with all of this? He loves the world, but the world is under the sway of the wicked one. How does God deal with the world? Let's look. Some, get some indicators to see also maybe how we should also deal with the world. John 3.17 says, For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. We're going to look later at verses saying about judgment, and we're going to see that they're not the same. Condemning the world, not condemning the world, is different from, from judgment. Not that whole, you know, we're condoning wholesale judgment either, but nonetheless. I promise you, I promise you, like, if we do, if we do nothing else, but not condemn the world, we've already done 70% of the work. I don't know what number, but a large proportion. If we simply love and accept the world as it is, with all the disaster that's in it, with all of it being under the sway of the wicked one, with all the madness that's going on in the world and around us. St. Anthony warned us of this. St. Anthony said there will come a time where the whole world will go mad. And they will run in their madness. And they will turn to you and say, Why do you not run with us? Have you gone mad? And they will turn on you and attack you and kill you. St. Anthony told us this was going to happen. That the world is going to go crazy. And then it's going to look at us and tell us, How come you're crazy? You're not like us. Right? So we shouldn't be too surprised. Many, many, many of the fathers, especially the desert fathers refer to the, the, the demons as the madness of the demons, like the action of the demons as the madness of the demons. They've gone, they're, they're totally crazy, and they're trying to influence us in, in these self, same self-destructive patterns of behavior. Let's see what else Jesus says. Stay in the positive things. Jesus says, I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I shall give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. And we quote this in the liturgy. I want to tell you, like each one of the different verses, we could have stopped and talked about it for a long time, but I'm kind of cruising through some of them. But I'm going to pause for a minute with this one. Think about this for a moment. Jesus was incarnate. Jesus took flesh that he might 
become bread. Like he takes the bread and he says, this, take, eat, this is my body, right? We believe that the bread becomes the real body of Christ. So, in one of the books about the liturgy, it says, he took flesh that he might become bread, that he might turn the bread into flesh. How? Through the mystical transformation, you know that happens in the liturgy? Yes. But more than that, how else? When you and I, we don't believe in the Coptic Orthodox Church, we don't believe in transubstantiation. We don't believe that the substance is changed. We believe that it is mystically transformed. In the Catholic Church, they believe in transubstantiation, I'm not criticizing, you know, I'm just saying, uh, where they believe that the substance is no longer bread and wine, the substance is body and blood. We believe that the substance remains the same, but it is mystically transformed, and its reality, its divine reality is, in truth it is, the, the body and blood of Christ. So when you and I consume the body and blood of Christ, we become also, we share also in being the body of Christ, right? I don't think I told you anything you didn't know, right? What happens, what happens to the body of Christ in the liturgy? The body of Christ is broken. Jesus says, take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you and for many, right? For what reason? For the life of the world. Jesus is calling you and is calling me to be His body, which is broken for the life of the world. Jesus is calling you and is calling me in as much as we commune of His body and of His blood, that we go out into the world and offer ourselves to be broken for the life of the world. What does that mean? That means that probably the most detested activity in Western society is moving, you know? What's the one thing you look forward to the least ever? It's, I don't know. Pick anything. It could be anything. Say moving house, right? You have a friend who's, you have a friend who's moving. They're moving to another house or something. A colleague at work or whatever. You go and you say, don't worry, I'll come help you out, right? I'll get a couple of guys. I'll get a couple of my friends. We'll all come. We'll all lend a hand, Right? At the end of that Saturday, of you know, you're there from six in the morning till eight or nine o'clock at night. You're gonna come home and you're gonna have a sore back and you're gonna take, you know, more Advil than you probably should. And and right, you are broken for what? For the life of the world. You're broken for your neighbor, for your colleague, for your, for. This is what it means. It means that we, we give ourselves. Look. I'll ask you a question. In the liturgy, the, the ordained priest, the guy wearing black with the beard and the hat, right? Or he's wearing white, I suppose, in the liturgy, right? Is a shadow of the high priest himself. The Coptic Orthodox Church has one true priest, the Lord Jesus Christ. And each one of us, the men in black, are just, we are just 
a member of his priesthood, like we're just sharing in the priesthood of Christ. And Jesus is so humble, he's hiding behind us and doing all the work. And this is, this is like, you know, I, like I remember reading this and not really understanding it. And as a priest, it's my, it's my day-to-day. It's like, it's my, I'm, I'm constantly called on to do things that I could never do. But I have just gotten, at first I used to, it used to scare me. Now I just expect that God is going to do things. You know? Like I go to pray for somebody in hospital. Like who am I going to pray for this person in hospital? What am I going to do? You know? Right? And now I know. I expect that God is going to take care of these people. I expect that God is going to heal this person. I wonder sometimes, I fight with him sometimes when, when somebody is not healed. How come? Why, why didn't heal him? Right? It's different. It's different. Because Jesus himself is working. In the liturgy, who is the priest? The Lord Jesus Christ. Who is the offering? The Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is himself the priest who is offering, and he is the offering being offered. Right? How about you? How about you when you go out in the world and you're participating in the priesthood of Christ? You are the one who is offering yourself. And what are you offering? Yourself. You are the priest and you are the offering. I don't know if that makes sense. I don't know if it's too late in the night for these, uh, for these things, right? Jesus is calling you and is calling me to be a witness for the world, to be eaten up by the world, to be the bread which is broken for the life of the world. Not everybody can have Holy Communion at the altar table, but everybody, everybody can be loved by you and me and can be sacrificed for by you and me. I can sacrifice myself for them as Jesus sacrificed himself on the altar. That's what this means. That's what this means for the life of the world. Jesus is expecting you and is expecting me in as much as we believe that we are His body and that we are His blood. He's expecting you and He's expecting me to go out in the world and to offer ourselves a living sacrifice for the life of the world. For my neighbor, for my colleague, for the person who's struggling, the person who needs help. He's calling you and He's calling me to be that bread which is broken. As you've guessed, I kind of like Mother Teresa. I'll share this clip with you. Hopefully the sound will, uh, will uh, project. I personally am most unworthy. But I brought a girl child from the street. And I could see in the face of the child that the child was hungry. God knows how many days they have not eaten. So I gave her a piece of bread. And then everyone started eating the bread, crumb by crumb. And I eat, I said to the child, eat the bread, eat the bread. And she looked at me and said, I'm afraid to eat the bread because I'm afraid when it is finished, I will be hungry again. This is a reality 
Maybe we are not hungry for a piece of bread, but maybe there is somebody there in the family who is unwanted, unloved, uncared, forgotten. There is love. Love begins at home. And love to be true has to hurt. And this is what I bring before you. To love one another, the great love. And there's so much more that could be, um, could be said about that. What else? Jesus says, as, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. So that's it. Jesus ascended to heaven, so the world is in darkness now. No, of course not. Jesus has called you and me now to go and be a light in the world, right? Oftentimes, um, I've been given this example of a lantern, right? Each one of us, has the indwelling of the Holy Spirit inside of us. Each one of us has the Spirit of God inside of us. How come sometimes people can clearly see the image of God in me and sometimes they can't? Well, maybe the glass here, maybe the glass on this lantern sometimes is clean and sometimes needs a little cleaning. When sometimes maybe the glass is covered in some soot, you know, that black stuff, right? And it needs a little bit of a scrub. Maybe it needs a little bit of sanctification, it needs a little bit of repentance, it needs a little bit of confession, it needs a little bit of returning to God and recommitting, recommitting my life to God, right? Jesus has called you and, and me to be a light in the world. What else? In John 9.39, Jesus says, For judgment I have come into this world, that those who do not see may see, and that those who see may be made blind. Why does Jesus say, uh, or in, in John 12, he says, And if anyone hears my words and does not believe, I do not judge him, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. I don't understand. Did Jesus come to judge the world, or he didn't come to judge the world? He came to condemn the world, he didn't come to get... What, how does it work? It's very simple. Look at this. Little, little bit about Noah from Hebrews. It says, By faith Noah being warned by God concerning the events as yet unseen, in reverent fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. What does that mean? Noah spent 120 years building the ark. And people would ask him, Why are you building the ark? And he'd say, Because God's going to flood the world. Why is God going to flood the world? He'd say, Because... Uh, Genesis 6, 6, I think, or 6, 8. Every thought of every person was evil all the time. Every thought of every person was evil all the time. So Noah told them. He told them, repent, change. Nobody changed. Noah's very presence was their condemnation. Noah didn't condemn them, say, you're bad, you should, you really deserve, no, especially you deserve to drown, <laughs> right? Noah didn't do that, but his very presence amongst them was condemning. I'm sure, you know, Noah wasn't the most popular man on the block, you know? I'm sure Noah wasn't the most popular person in the office, right? I'm sure Noah was the one who was different, the one who was a little bit weird, the one who was a little bit off, right? 
Sometimes your and my very presence, our very desire to do what is right, is enough to condemn others. Well, when people feel condemned, what do they do? They get defensive and they, right? But that's not your doing. It's not your doing. What I mean to say is it's not, it's not by, 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 your, by your intention. You're just being your honest and true self. There's nothing wrong with that. Right? <coughs> and that's why Jesus says in his high priestly prayer, he says, he, he says, Father, I pray that you would keep them in the world. Like, they're in the world, but they're not of the world. I pray that you would keep them, that, that you would preserve them. Jesus himself is praying to his Father, saying, Please, God, ahfazhum. Keep them, preserve them. Jesus himself is praying for your safekeeping in the world. It's not going to get better than that, right? Jesus says, you are from beneath, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. Although Jesus loves the world, Jesus doesn't condemn the world. Jesus' presence judges the world. Although all of this, Jesus makes a clear distinction, says, but I'm not of this world. You and, my, you and I should also see the same and feel the same. And we shouldn't be shy. We shouldn't be shy to say it. There's a beautiful book about a Chinese man, Brother Yun. He's still alive, I believe. Who uh, became Christian and he was, being, uh, he was preaching everywhere in China, in the underground churches, and he was being persecuted. Once they caught him in a field, this man was imprisoned so many times and beaten and he was tortured and all kinds of horrific things they did to him. Muhim, uh, he was caught once in a field and he had ran away from a house church because they were looking for him. A story as best I remember it. You can look it up. The book is called The Heavenly Man by Brother Yoon. And so they caught him and so they asked him, what is your name? We're looking for so-so, no, 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 Yoon, Right? His name, I can't remember what it was. They said, where are you from? What village are you from? All this, they're trying to identify him. And he started shouting at the top of his lungs from 2 Corinthians, I am a heavenly man. I am the heavenly man. And so that became his nickname in the underground churches, the heavenly man. He was declaring plainly that he seeks a homeland, like it says in Hebrews. He was declaring plainly, like it says in Philippians chapter 3, that his citizenship is in heaven. It doesn't belong here, right? And you and I are called to do the same. And it's natural. It's natural if we feel that we don't belong. It's natural if we feel that something is off. That we're very similar to other people, but we're different, right? And it's natural if we're hated by the world. Like Jesus says, the world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify that its works are evil. In John 15, he says, if the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you are of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, I chose you out of the world. Therefore, the world hates you. I remember, i never forget this. You know, 9-11 happened uh, that year in 2001 was at the very end of the Coptic year when the readings are all about the, the end of the world. So, you know, in Sunday school we were talking about, naturally we are talking about 9-11 and all of this and so on. And one of the girls had been particularly paying attention during the liturgy and she said, you know, 
John, it said in the readings, Jesus said that if the world hated him, it will hate us also. But nobody hates me. Does that mean that I'm not following Jesus? Of course, I, I patted her on the shoulder. No, 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 of course not, sweetheart, and this and that, and all of this. Said a few comforting words to her. But something, something moved inside of me. And I realized, you know what? Like, out of the mouth of babes and infants, God has perfected praise. You know what? That girl was right. That girl was right. If the world approves of absolutely everything that I do, then how am I not of this world? Like, if, I'm, if, if the world sees me as, you know, smart, successful, this, that, and everything, the world doesn't see anything counterculture to how I live my life, to how I think. There's no, no difference between me and the world. Well, what's the difference then? How am I not of this world? And what about Jesus' words that the world will hate, will hate me? This brought me to tears. There's a young man, he's a little, old, a little bit older than me. I'm young, by the way. I just thought I'd clarify. Um, <laughs> right? Uh, uh, there's a young man, uh, a couple of years older than me, a few years older than me, who really loves the poor. And so he just randomly prepares some food, goes and finds some sleeping bags, some socks, some things that, that homeless people need, and goes out on the street and spends time with the homeless. He's been doing this for years. I've been doing it for longer than him, so initially he asked me for some advice and this and that. I gave him some advice, and then I forgot about it. And he was just quietly doing this. Well, when it was the Queen Elizabeth Jubilee, uh, uh, you know, the, the Queen was giving out these silver medals for the Jubilee Award thing. The homeless people nominated him for an award. And he got it. But he didn't tell anybody. The only person he told is his spiritual father, and he told me. That's yeah, so what he told me anyways. And when he told me, he told me because he was asking me for advice again. He told me, Abuna, when you gave me, and I asked you for advice a long time ago about serving people on the street, you gave me some advice, and I did it. And I was expecting that if I was doing something that was against what the world says, the world should hate me. And he started to cry. And he said, why is the world celebrating me? What did I do wrong? In his mind, that the world was celebrating him, then he didn't follow the recipe correctly. Something's wrong. The world should spit in my face the world should curse me. The world should call me stupid. The world should... Why is the world celebrating me? I'll never forget that. I was speechless. This grown man crying in front of me, telling me... Like, I listened... He was, he was almost like holding me accountable. I listened to your advice, but something's wrong. Something was wrong with your advice. These people are, are I think, a, a light to us. A light to us a light to me, how, how these people are really searching for the glory of God and to walk in Jesus' footsteps, honestly. And we're lucky because our church is really rich, is really rich with martyrs and saints and people who were truly hated by this world. The world could not tolerate them. Could not tolerate them.
And as Jesus says that God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, God is desiring to give His only Son, His only daughter, you and me. He's only got one copy of you. And He wants to give you for the life of the world. But will we say yes? I remember I got invited to, uh, this was before priesthood, when I was so foolish before priesthood. I'm still foolish, but I was even crazier then. God calmed me down before priesthood to go uh, um, uh, speak around Nairuz at, uh, I think it was the eve of Nairuz uh, at a church. And um, we're, everybody was singing, you know, my Coptic church, and everybody's like very patriotic around Coptic New Year, right? And, and so, so they should be, you know, like there's nothing wrong with that, right? And I said something, I never got invited back to this church. <laughs> I said something, and I really believe, and I believe it to this day. But I just don't know if, if, I just don't know if people want to hear this. We love the martyrs. We love our church, and we love that our church is the church of the martyrs. We love that. And we can sing about the martyrs from all of our heart. And we know that every time there's one new martyr that the church is like ablaze with the fire of the Holy Spirit. The church explodes with power. The church worldwide, not the Coptic Orthodox Church. And we know the power that martyrdom has. And we know that God called us to martyrdom. And we know that the gospel is rife with commandments for us to be martyrs. And we say to each other, where is the era of the martyrs? Fein Asr Shuhada, right? But if God came to us and said, I need, I need your son, I need your daughter to be a martyr for me, what would we say? Take her, take her son, <laughs> take his child. How many of us is ready? How many of us is ready? How many of us is ready to teach our children about the martyrs? That the martyrs... The, the martyrs are the foundation. They're the foundation of the passing down of the faith. How many of us are ready to teach our children that this is, this is what they should look forward to? Don't worry, if you're horrified, when I say this at home, my wife tells me to be quiet. <laughs> she, tells me, she tells me, go, go talk to the closet, right? Right? I know what I'm saying is hard. I know what I'm saying is very hard. But I pray, I pray, I pray that God can give me the strength to see my own children as martyrs for His church. What greater, what greater gift, what greater gift can we give back to Jesus than to give Him the children that He gave us? I look at like St. Rebecca, St. Rifa in Arabic and I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. But I can't accept that God gave her something that He's not capable of giving you and me. I'm not saying that He's given me what He's given her. But were He to choose to, He would be able to give it to me. But would I say yes? I don't know. I don't know.
That's what God is calling us to. That's what God is calling us to in the, in the world. Not to condemn the world. They're legalizing marijuana and they're legalizing gay marriage and they're let them, let them. God, Jesus didn't command me to condemn all these social things that are going on. Jesus called me to die for the world, to be broken for the life of the world. Finally, finally, reminding us of what we heard earlier about St. John Chrysostom, telling us that the coldest thing we can do as Christians is not share the gospel. Jesus says, go in all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Let the whole world testify to the fact that you and I are sons and daughters of God. Like, this verse is why I recycle. Like, I'm pretty, you know, anal retentive about recycling. Mary tells me, like, well, whatever, just throw it in the garbage. No, no, I'm very, like, meticulous about it and so on. Because I believe this is, this is my testimony to the world, like to the, to, to the created world, to all of creation, that I care, that I care about all of creation. Finally, this doesn't translate well, But speaking about all the different challenges we talked about, challenges at home, challenges at work, challenges in society, right? Our God doesn't have problems to solve. He has miracles to reveal. Sounds a lot better in Arabic. Rabbina ma'andush mashakil andu One of my yani, mentors and uh, a, a real spiritual father to me, every time I tell him, Sayyidna, I have this problem, he tells me, Rabbina ma'andush mashakil. Rabbina andu mu'agizet. He just hasn't revealed it yet. Glory be to God forever and ever. Amen.